Hi, I'm Dennis Hester, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist Church Watauga, and we are grateful that you have tuned in to listen to these messages, either through our podcast or on our website. And as you listen to these, our prayer is that you would hear the Lord speak to you from His Holy Word. If you're interested in learning more about the church, you can get on our website at fbcwatauga.org. From there, there's a place where you can plan a visit, you can learn more about our beliefs. You can also request prayer through the prayer request page. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. The most important thing that I'd communicate to you is as you listen to God's Word, that you find a place to get plugged into a local congregation, whether it's here at First Baptist or another local church where you live. If you'd like information or would like us to help you find a church home, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. And you can contact us through our Facebook page. So God bless you as you listen to His Word, and may the Lord encourage you in your walk. about 11 months ago when I first was asked to go on this vision trip and I had uh, I didn't know a lot about compassion I under my understanding was compassion was a wonderful ministry out there that fed hungry kids uh, and that was basically my sum of understanding I have learned some incredible things in fact uh, I'll just lay it out there for you. Uh, you. You may have heard me say this up to this point. I believe uh, from what I saw that compassion, working with compassion as a church who works through local churches is probably the most effective evangelism and discipleship strategy that we can have on the international mission field. And that is why my heart so quickly connected uh, with Compassion International. We are on a journey already. Our church is going to be connecting with two Baptist churches in Managua, Nicaragua. We're going to be working uh, with pastors and churches there to help disciple children. The motto for Compassion is releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. But there is so much more about compassion than just dealing with the issue of poverty because most importantly, compassion helps deal with the issue of spiritual poverty. Now, compassion's model for ministry is based off of Luke chapter 2, verse 52. So before we have Edgar come up and share uh, his testimony with us, I wanted to just share a little bit from God's Word this morning. Now, I want to give you the context, so we're going to read verse 51 and 52, but this is the story in Luke 2, uh, after the, the, you know, the, the, the Christmas story, normally we go to, to Luke chapter 2 to look at the Christmas story. But here is at the end of Luke chapter 2, you see the story of Jesus when he's 12 years old. Scripture tells us that every year his parents would take him from, from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the Passover. While he was there when he was 12 years old, his parents lost uh, contact with Jesus. In fact, they were traveling back to Nazareth and had traveled over a day and realized, hey, Jesus isn't with us. Uh, you know, I know a few parents that have a lot of kids that have lost a child. I don't know one that's lost one in, from a caravan for more than a day. Uh, so Jesus' parents go back to Jerusalem and they find Jesus sitting among the scholars teaching them. And the scholars were astounded at Jesus' wisdom. He's 12 years old. And so that's where we pick up in, in verse 50, in verse 51 of Luke chapter 2. His, his parents, you know, asked him, hey, what are you doing? And, and he said in verse, I'm sorry, verse 49, didn't you know I was supposed to be in my father's house? And then we get to verse 51. The scripture says, then he went down with them, with his parents, and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, 
in favor with God and with people. Compassion's ministry in the local church, the, the two projects that I saw, uh, is always based around that fourfold vision of maturing a child. Before we get there, I want to look at, at verse 51 and 52 so we keep it in context. I'm going to do this quickly. Verse 51, the scripture tells us that Jesus, and when his parents confronted him, they, they took him back with them. And, and I want you to see what Jesus did. There's three things here. First of all, he went down with his parents. There's a, a, a physical, a geographical movement because Jerusalem was up on a hill. So even though he was going north to Nazareth, Jesus went down off of the, 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 the highlands of Jerusalem and headed back toward the Sea of Galilee to Nazareth to where he lived. But I believe there's more to that verse here than just the geography because Jesus is God. Jesus had already come down from the right hand of the throne of his father to come to this earth. And now, as a 12-year-old, he's just beginning to learn who he is. He's beginning to, to, to realize uh, the, the, the giftedness that his heavenly father had given him. And he's sitting in a group of men who are scholars who are astounded by his wisdom. And mom and dad came back and said, Jesus, what are you doing? He said, don't you know I'm supposed to be in my father's house? And they said, no, you're supposed to be with us. So Jesus humbled himself under the authority of his parents until it was his time. We don't hear anything else about Jesus until it's time for him to be baptized, do we? Why? Because he humbled himself and he went home. And this is a great message for young adults, for children and youth. Because Jesus humbled himself and obeyed his parents. You will never be an effective leader or effectively used in the kingdom of God if you cannot humble yourself under the authority in which God has placed you. Every single one of us has authority that we have to humble ourselves under. Jesus humbled himself to his parents even though he was already able to teach way above his parents' level. He went down. He humbled himself. And he was a faithful follower. Look at what happened. He said he went down with them and he came to Nazareth. He went where they told him to go. You will not be a faithful leader until you're first a faithful follower. Jesus was able to grow in maturity to become the man that his father desired him to be because he was a faithful follower. He went where his parents told him to go. He humbled himself and he went where his parents told him to go. And then third, he was obedient. He did what his parents told him to do. He was God. He was the King of kings and Lord of lords. He was the great I am. He was before anything else. He will be after everything else. He was perfect. He never sinned. Mary and Joseph were sinners. Jesus humbled himself, followed, and obeyed sinners. Do you hear that? The Son of God humbled himself to, followed, and obeyed Sinners. Mary and Joseph weren't perfect. Jesus was. And yet, he humbled himself to them and followed and did exactly what he was called to do. We don't know what happened to Joseph, but we know between the age of 12 and when Jesus began his ministry, Joseph apparently died. We don't know if that's why Jesus stayed home longer. If, if he didn't begin his ministry at 20, 21, 25, it was all ordained by God anyway. But ultimately, Jesus was a carpenter who stayed home and took care of his mom and his family until he was 30 years old and he began the ministry that his heavenly father had called him to. He submitted himself 
the king of kings, who at 12 years old was a great scholarly teacher already, submitted himself to his parents to serve. You won't be effective in God's kingdom until you have that humble heart and are willing to follow. And then look at how Jesus grew. And this is truly where uh, compassion establishes the framework for their ministry to each and every one of these children. Every, each of the projects that I went into in every room that I went into, it's kind of like our Sunday school rooms or our Awana rooms. They had teaching billboards up. I took a picture of some of them and uh, uh, I meant to, to post them up on our screen today, but, but I forgot. Uh, every one of them would have the hours of, of, of say, from 9 to 10, they were going to be working on their physical health. They were going to be focused on helping them learn how to eat better and work on, working on physical maturity. And then they would, they would deal with their emotional health and their education and their, their relationship with God. And all of that is based off of Luke 2.52. It says, and Jesus increased in wisdom. So he grew in his education. He had opportunity to learn. He grew in his education. Jesus grew in stature so healthy, his body, physically he was able to grow and mature. Third, in favor with God. So spiritually, he was already God. He was the son of God. But he continued to grow spiritually in his relationship with his heavenly father. From the time he was 12 until he began his ministry. Jesus grew spiritually and Jesus grew relationally in his relationships with other people. The, the ministry of compassion, their vision is that children would not just get enough to eat and be nourished physically because you don't release somebody with, from poverty just with physical food. There's, there's a necessity of hope. And yet, it is hard for someone to focus on their spiritual growth when all they can think of is, where am I going to get something to eat this week? Or tonight. And so compassion's fourfold vision is to reach children where they are and to bring hope in the name of Christ to these children. And that's why I believe that God has called us to it. It's an incredible opportunity for us to be able to make disciples on the other side of the world. It's actually not that far from us. It's in Nicaragua. And we'll talk about why that later. But I want to introduce you to Edgar. Edgar and his bride, uh, Fatima, are here with us. You're going to have to get your own stool. Uh, they're right up here. And so he's going to come, and we're going to just simply do a question and answer so you can hear his testimony. Uh, I had met Edgar a couple weeks ago uh, just faced to, uh, on a video conference and uh, Got to listen to him share his testimony at First Baptist Church, Katy, Texas. So, Edgar, it is good to have you and your bride with us. I'm glad you're here, brother. Been praying for you. Uh, and simply, we just want to hear your story. So, uh, uh, you can welcome the church, but I'll ask the first question, then you can tie it all together. Uh, tell us about kind of your life in compassion and uh, maybe a little bit before compassion as uh, uh, before you were sponsored. So. Absolutely, and first of all, uh, thank you for the warm, warm welcoming. It's a pleasure for me to be here. So, life before compassion. I was born to a teenage single mother in a very small town of a rural area in the Dominican Republic. And 
about the time that I was a toddler, my mother uh, moved to Santo Domingo, the capital of the Dominican Republic, to pursue a better life for the both of us. It, what I recall from that move was it was quite challenging and even traumatic because uh, for nearly a year, we didn't have a place where to stay. We primarily just bounced from place to place, crashing at relatives, uh, friends of the family, acquaintances, or anybody for as long as several weeks or just as short of, uh, of overnight or whatever they would let us. Eventually, my mother found us a very small place in one of the poorest, most dangerous, violent, and crime-filled neighborhoods in the city. Um, and while we had our own place, it just brought a whole new set of struggles for us. Um, I remember the, the, the vivid memories that I have about that time is the the stress, the ongoing pressure and frustration my mother had for not knowing where our next meal was going to come from, and the monthly eviction threats that we received from our landlord. So for two years of that, is, I'm now five, and I am ready to be enrolled in, in school, and my mother still unemployed, still single, cannot cover the cost of registration and some school supplies. And she reaches out to my father for assistance, only to be told that if he took more than a pencil and a notepad for me to be enrolled in school, my father was totally okay with me growing illiterate. Let that sink in for a moment. Uh, and imagine the frustration my mother had and, and how that much saddened me to know that it wasn't important for my father that I attended school. But by the grace of God, that only motivated my mother even more and made her more determined to find a way of enrolling me in school. And that's when she learned about a private Christian school that a local church had and that had a partnership with this international Christian ministry called Compassion International that provided sponsorships for children in developing countries. So we went, they took our, uh, my photo, and they created a, a packet for me, and we were added to a waiting list. Fortunately, uh, 30 days later, we received the good news that a God-fearing man from Florida, Mr. David Rayner, saw my packet, picked it up, and he was obedient and, and faithful to the Lord and decided to sponsor me. And that was the mark of me starting my journey of being released from poverty. Where do you think you would have ended up without that compassion help? Oh. You don't have to spend a lot of time with that. <laughs> it's not one of the questions that you gave me. No, I, a short answer, I would have gone straight to a landfill, city dump, and I will have been digging out um, metals or anything that could be sold and dodging bulldozers or heading to the streets to be a beggar or join a neighborhood gang. That was the certain destiny for the majority of the young children in those impoverished neighborhoods. So how did compassion and that sponsorship change your life then? Um, 
To put that into perspective, my chances of even completing elementary school were only a fraction compared to the prospects of me being forced into child labor or becoming a victim of crime. And with the compassion sponsorship, instead of heading to the landfill, as I said, I headed to the classroom. Instead of heading to the streets to beg for money or to sell donuts or to shine shoes in a corner, I went to church and learned about Christ. I could probably spend a, a lot of time telling you the many ways that the Compassion Sponsorship changed my life, and you will come up short in guessing the many ways that it did, but I really want to highlight the two primary ones. Number one, it provided me with a good quality of education while keeping me safe, healthy, nourished, and with all the necessary books and supplies that I needed to successfully graduate from high school and set the path for me to become the first one in my family to ever attend and graduate from college. And number two, I became a believer. And the most important one, and not only that, but also many of my relatives and friends eventually became believers as well. I can um, mention that the this foundation that it created for my spiritual growth. It was like having Sunday school every day of, this, uh, every day of the school uh, as the day started with a prayer, a small devotional. Later in the day, we will have Bible study and the day always ended with uh, worship and hymns. That is something that I could have not found at home as life stressors totally consumed my mother's, all, all of her time and energy, uh, and we couldn't devote time to that. So I heard one of your sermons shortly after you got back from Nicaragua of the 400 hours of discipleship. It could very well be even more than that. So the good news for you is that if you were wondering that there was one view in that YouTube video of who watched that video, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now you know that somebody's watching you. Somebody's <laughs> watching my videos online at least. Yes, and, and in addition to that, I'd like to add that having a, an education opened doors for me to work for multinational corporations in the Dominican Republic, which eventually uh, allow me to relocate to the U.S. and come to work for several Fortune 500 companies. And that and not only enabled me to provide a better material life for myself and my family, but also to significantly improve the living conditions of many of my relatives back in the Dominican Republic. So I think, in short, if I summarize this, without the sponsorship, my chances of overcoming extreme poverty were little to none. Now you got to meet your sponsor. Tell us about your sponsor. <sighs> You're going to get me emotional now. So this is a pretty special um, moment for me. My, my sponsor had um, a great influence in my life in my early and teenage years through letters. 
in his letters was where the expression, I love you, was very first addressed to me in my life. Those letters, he motivated me, he encouraged me, he prayed for me, he um, asked me to trust God, to rely on him and to depend on him. And, and that opened doors for me to have dreams and aspirations that I didn't have before. And it wasn't typical of children my age at that time. That the mindset of poverty, he started to change that. So I was fortunate again after 15 years of searching for him. Uh, last April, I finally found him. And last December, I met him face to face. The week of Christmas, we had an incredible time together. We celebrated us meeting us face to face, both of our families, his family, my family. We spent a weekend in a resort in Florida and we celebrated by um, going to Universal Studios and Kennedy Space Center and it was the time of our lives. I am eternally grateful to him for being obedient and allow, allowing God to use him as a tool to release me from poverty. So guys, I want to pause here for just a moment because when we think of compassion, when I've thought of compassion and the commitment that the Lord's led us to make, I've thought about the money and how we are blessed and how we are spoiled in this nation. But one of the things that I've learned, and I learned especially from uh, Edgar and hearing his testimony, is those letters that we write, you have an opportunity to make a disciple one child at a time. And uh, it's an incredible opportunity that God has given us that we can do in an international relationship that uh, you really can't find anywhere else. And so uh, that, those letters and that relationship with your sponsor, I think there's some pictures coming up of, of uh, your meeting. Now, this was just this December? Yes, that was in December, week of Christmas. We are in Universal Studios. You can see that's him to the right with his wife. And the rest of that is my family. We have uh, five children, four of them are there, and there's my wife, my son David. My sponsor is David as well, so you can figure why now. <laughs> there you go. So uh, what's life like for you today? Oh, wow. Uh, not in my wildest imagination I could have even dreamed about the life that I have today. I have been blessed abundantly in ways that I never thought it was even possible. I have a wonderful family, uh, five beautiful children. God blessed me with uh, a God-fearing wife. Uh, she loves the Lord. She is gorgeous too. <laughs> You'll see her. And we devote all the time and energy that we can to raise our children in God's word, to train them to become faithful servants to the Lord and make them disciples of Jesus Christ. In addition to that, we devote a great deal of time to the ministry of compassion because I firsthand know that it works. It just works. We... Um, volunteer significantly in the DFW areas. I think last year I did 123 hours of volunteering for Compassion. 
and in addition to that, we sponsor two children. One is in El Salvador. It's a boy. Guess what his name is? It's David. <laughs> <laughs> and we sponsor a girl in the Dominican Republic. I have to be biased. That's where I'm from. Uh, her name is Maria. In addition to that, we sacrificially give with our, our talents and treasures and time to other causes and, and helping whatever we can. Um, so, but not everything is fun in my life. I, I also have a job. <laughs> and I work for a major financial institution where I oversee the department's change management responsibilities as well as the entire um, portfolio of projects. Uh, you are a member of a local church in our area, right? That's right. I'm a local. <laughs> it's from Frisco, Texas, and uh, you serve there in your church? Yes, I am a member of Watermark Community Church, if you've heard uh, that church. So in various capacities there, primarily with a ministry called uh, Regen, where they, it's similar to Celebrate Recovery, where the intent is helping through God's word um, people with that struggle with uh, addictions and um, chemical substance abuse and emotional problems and other type of things. Uh, and a few other areas that I served as well. That's awesome. I remind our church all the time that God hasn't just called us to, to serve internationally but he's also called us to serve right here. And we're a part of a local body of believers that, that connect here and serve here. Uh, you came to faith through compassion. How old were you? Can you tell us a little bit about your story of how you came to faith in Christ? Since I started the program, a, a big portion of the program was to, uh, to train us uh, in Christianity the decision of accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior and, and turning my life over to Him, I, I think I was about 13 when, when that happened. And, and the good thing about compassion, I have learned that that didn't happen when I was in the program, but it happens today. They even document and create a certificate when the student actually uh, accepts Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So that is amazing. Amen. All right. Uh, lastly, is there anything else that you want to share with the church or say before we close? Absolutely, and thank you for, for that. So a compassion sponsorship has a multi-generational impact to the children that are sponsored and to their future generation. Today, I stand in front of you as a testimony that a compassion sponsorship truly works. It just works. I, it did for me exactly what it intended to do. And even more than that, it released me from poverty way beyond what I could have ever even dreamed about. And primarily, he trained me to become a disciple of Jesus. I can, as I reflect on this, I, I think about the passage in the gospel of when the children are trying to come to Jesus and the disciples are preventing the children from coming to Jesus. And he says, let the children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those that are like them. 
material poverty, the lack of water, the lack of food, the lack of basic necessities, uh, spiritual poverty, the lack of knowing God, the lack of praying, the lack of trusting God, and emotional poverty, the lack of being told you're loved, the lack of having hope, all of that is preventing children from coming to Jesus. Let's give these this children a chance of coming to Jesus. Let's give them a real chance of coming to Jesus and get those barriers out of the way by sponsoring them. Lastly, you find in Matthew 10, 8, uh, the latter part of it says, um, give as freely as you have received. My prayer today is that after seeing and hearing how the life of a child in a sponsorship is changed, that that motivates you to sponsor a child if you're not sponsoring today. Sponsoring a child from, through compassion, it's a great way and an excellent way to fulfill the Great Commission. I'll be out there after service. If you have any questions, I would love to talk to you and answer any additional questions that you may have. Dennis and uh, Watauga First Baptist Church, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share my story with you today. Well, thank you for coming, Edgar. We appreciate it. Thank you. I'm going to read. I'm going to release you and let you go sit by your beautiful wife for a little bit longer. Church, if you've been around, you know that God has, has, has given me a heart. I believe that God has called us to serve at home and abroad. And for, for several years now, we have sought the Lord's direction. Since the doors in Lima began to close, where we had served for eight years, and then the doors in India that we thought were going to be open closed, we've been seeking God's direction. And, and I believe that God has led us to work with Compassion International. We'll be working with Baptist churches, and uh, so we're, we're not stepping out of our comfort zone in those ways. But there are two churches in Managua, Nicaragua that have quite a few kids that are without sponsors. And Compassion has has gathered those together for us as a church. So uh, you, when, when you, if you choose, we've already had several from our church choose to sponsor children, you will be choosing from one of those two churches. And our goal and our dream is to begin to work with those pastors in those two churches that are about 10 miles apart in Managua so that in the future we can go connect with them, serve with them uh, through Bible schools or go whatever the needs of that pastor in that local church may be. You'll also be able, if you're sponsoring a child and, and you go on one of those mission trips, you'll be able to, to connect with that child. Uh, if you're not going on the mission trip, but our church is, you'll be able to, to have gifts that are taken directly to your sponsor child. And so it is an opportunity for us to directly connect in a different way than we have before on the mission field with uh, making disciples. Now, Susan and I are already ahead of you. Uh, I could not wait until now to get started. And so uh, Susan is sponsoring a little girl in Managua named Alejandra. Uh, her second name is Elizabeth. 
which is very similar to our daughter's name, Elizabeth. And that's one of the reasons that, that Susan had chose her. She's a three-year-old. I'm sponsoring a little boy named Jordan. I've already received a couple letters from Jordan. Now, Jordan is uh, five years old. He will turn six on my birthday in April. Uh, one of the reasons I chose that is so that I could remember his birthday. Uh, <laughs> He, uh, he has written me a couple letters. Uh, I, I gave you some images of letters from uh, Jordan. I think hopefully they'll come up. This is the uh, copy of the second letter. Now, he's, he's five years old. And so uh, he, uh, he, through his tutor, uh, she asked him questions, and he, he checks off uh, you know, what he likes to do, the games he likes to play, fun things he likes to do. And so as a, as a five-year-old, of course, he's not writing a long, expansive letter, but he did draw me an incredible picture. Now, I want to tell you that he is an artist. Uh, Jordan, I, I know that he's headed for graphics design. Uh, Jordan, has a, that's the picture that he drew specially for me. But he also... Uh, kind of dictated a letter, and it's kind of in third person because you, his tutor helped him with this, and uh, toward the end of that letter, you know, essentially she asked him, what would you like to say to your sponsor? I'm just going to read part of it. He says, dear sponsor Dennis, God bless you. Jordan greets you, and he's very glad to greet you faithfully. He attends the project, loves to hear about the Bible stories, and participate in classes. He prays for you every day. And ask that you pray for him. I knew I would get past that part. Jordan's five. And I'm already praying for God to move in his life in a miraculous and mighty way. Uh, I don't know the plans that God has for Jordan, but I'm going to get to watch. And uh, I'm excited about that. 